Jamie Lewis, and this is Consumed, a podcast where eaters, drinkers, thinkers, and makers can get real. Thanks for joining me. Consumed is sponsored in part by Slow Life magazine. Over the past several years, I've written the food column for Slow Life, and I've covered many, many different restaurants and dishes here in Slow County. Some of my favorite subjects have been fried chicken, educational dining, and I even recently wrote about the free bread at three different local eateries. Slow Life is much more, though, so get your hands on a copy every other month. To find out how, visit slowlifemagazine.com. This past summer, my husband Jake and I visited Dare to Dream Farm in Lompoc for a true farm-to-table dinner. The dishes we ate originated with produce, eggs, honey, cheese, and much else that was produced just steps from our seats. The farm belongs to Jeremy and Megan Raff, a pair of people with many talents between them. What started as a humble chicken egg operation on family property became a larger and larger one, then a garden that grew, a chicken coop building business that grew, a woofing host scenario that grew, stay tuned for more on woofing in our interview, a farm stand and CSA that grew, an Airbnb business that grew, and a whole lot more, all while growing three very young children. Jake and I were enamored by the Raft's ingenuity with just a little bit of land, as well as their unflappable demeanor. In this interview, hear how the idea for Dare to Dream Farm began, how Jeremy's grandfather made it all possible, and how the Raft's delivered chickens and a coop to Lady Gaga without even knowing it. Here's my interview with Megan and Jeremy Raff. You told me that you had a soccer game over the weekend, but you are so busy. There had to have been a lot of other things that you were taking care of. Um, I mean, the farm, the coops, there's so much we need to talk about. We need to lay the groundwork for what you do, <laughs> but maybe we could start by like daily basis. What is it like on say a Sunday to get ready? Sundays are actually farmer's markets days. So wake up, load up the van. We've already harvested most things Mm -hmm. on Saturday. Um, There's sometimes like, we'll harvest the greens, kale, lettuce, and stuff like that the morning of, so it's just as fresh as possible. Mm -hmm. Farmer's markets from 10 to two, and then generally if there's a Airbnb guest showing up to stay at one of the campers, then I run home and flip the campers and clean them and get them ready for the next guest. Generally those Sundays after 334 is like family day. We usually go to my brother's house where he comes and visits us and um, we'll spend time with the family for Sunday evenings. Right on. So. Tell me how many kids you have again. We have three. Right. Okay. And your oldest is how old? He's going to be five oh, in November. Old? So Wyatt is the oldest. Mm-hmm. So what are the other ages? Like three and... Three and six months. You have a six month old? Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's a lot of work. He's I've actually, had two six months in my time. I know exactly how much work that is. Wow. He's a good baby. He's yeah, very, he's great. yeah, he does goes he, with the flow a does lot. Does he kind of have to be? He has to be a good baby. I think he's also just really enamored with all of the activity that's happening around him. Yeah. He loves watching his brother and sister. And mm-hmm. there's so many people in the house that just want to hold the baby and play with the baby. So he gets a lot of interaction. He's I don't think he's happy. he's not wanting for entertainment. No. Or love. So you have woofers come and stay, which mm-hmm. it, I think there's different ways that people um, spell out the W-W-O-O-F. We always said willing workers on organic farms. Is that what you call it? Uh, worldwide opportunities on organic okay. farms. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and my husband and I were woofers um, 2000. I think 2007 and 2008 could be 08 and 09 but um we were in italy for six months and we traveled i think we ended up doing 10 different farms which you know there would be one awesome one and then one that we wouldn't do again and then one awesome one and one we wouldn't do again but it seems like yours is very popular because you've actually kept people on long term haven't you absolutely yeah we've had at this point, over 550 woofers from all over oh the world um, since we started hosting woofers in February of 2010. 13. 13. Wow, got that one way wrong. Um, <laughs> so a lot of people in a short amount of time. Uh, and of many of them uh, have stayed, like we'll stay, we'll 
want to be there for a month and then end up staying for six or something like that. And we've had a few of them um, that we actually hired on as like permanent interns and people that manage certain aspects like Mal and Rachel um, manage all the livestock. So they take care of the goats and the chickens. They don't take care of the cows, but um, so they, that's their daily activity and routine. And um, they'll go someplace else next year and Mm. move on. But um, yeah, we've had a lot of people come and stay for a long time. Um, and return and return we had one uh young man homer who just returned for the third time um and then he's gonna try to come back um to stay on full time in the spring that's a real compliment i mean having done exactly that we had one family that we have returned to once and plan to return to again um but that i can't I can't imagine that we would go back to any of the other ones. So that's huge that people want to come back. And you're talking about Matt and Rachel. Where are they from? Um, they're from Los Angeles, actually. So oh. they're, not, they're not too far away. Yeah. Um, they came to us through Woof, I think, four years ago. Um, stayed for a month, and then they went woofing to a couple other farms. Um, and then they ended up in Northern California. Um, and then about... Four years ago, we found ourselves in need of somebody more permanent to help with the love because we're constantly training and constantly training. Um, so we reached out to them and see if they wanted want to come back on a more permanent basis. Um, and they said, yes, absolutely. So um, they become like family at this point. Yeah. So. Right. Well, and you live together. Yep. I mean, it's inevitable mm-hmm. if you like each other that you will feel like family. Will you describe, maybe Megan, will you describe what woofing is? Because I don't think a lot of people know. I think it's different for every farm. Everyone sees it a little differently. Mm-hmm. The The way that Woof USA or most of the Woof organizations would describe it is an exchange, a cultural exchange, or an exchange for a hands-on experience on a farm. So it's an exchange of room and board for labor. Um, they generally recommend about 30 hours of work per week, and um, it can vary. A lot of times... The room and board isn't super high quality, and so some people just don't think that they can stick with it. And I think that's one of the things that we've just nailed is that we're bringing them in like kind of like family. Mm-hmm. So we have dinner together every night, um, or I mean most nights. We have a sign-up board, and if people want to share something from where they're from, they can um, put their name up on the board and and cook dinner for everybody that night. We, oh. we buy the food, but they cook, and then everyone else cleans and... So we're just trying to share an experience and time, you know, that is, it's the cultural exchange that I think most people are doing it for because it's an international organization. So we have had people from all sorts of different countries. I mean, at some points we've had people sitting across the table. We've had um, Saudi Arabia and... Israel, Israel, Germany, Chile, uh, Canada, Japan, uh, Australia, all at the same table at one time. Oh my God. So. Yeah. I'm so smiling it's... so big because I mean, it just brings back memories of sitting at tables with mm-hmm. just broken English, you know, or, yeah. or our broken Italian, frankly, um, with a bunch of different nationalities. And it's so, it's so critical, I think. And, it, and I'm thinking about your kids too, how it's, blowing open their concept of the world that it's so much bigger than them. Um, and I know they're little, but they'll never know any different, which is incredible. Right. right. Do you plan on traveling or have you traveled to, to other countries to woof or to visit some of your woofers? Yeah. We've gone to a lot of other places to go see our woofers. Mm-hmm. So we've done, we went to Denmark and we went to Copenhagen and visited um, some people who we called Wyatt's first nanny. <laughs> we, we brought Wyatt home from the hospital and I had asked my mom to come stay with us, but she ended up being injured. And so I was taking care of Wyatt and myself and Jeremy was running the farm and I was taking care of my mom. And we just had this woman from uh, Copenhagen that was staying with us and she had happened to be a nanny uh, oh, before handy. she had. And so she totally came in and saved the day for us and was so good with Wyatt. And uh, so we went and visited them and then hopped a Ryanair flight and went to Barcelona and did a little tour around Spain and saw a couple of our other friends that had been woofers with us. Incredible. And we went back last year and saw them again because they have started a uh, pizzeria in Portugal 
Um, so we visited him there and then we went up to Basque country where we had, um, woofers, the ones from Israel had bought an old 500 year old, uh, apple cider mill and was building it up and making a small little farm there. So we got to see them there and visit them in Basque country. And, um, that was like a really special experience because at that point we had Wyatt and Zoe, um, and I was pregnant with Wade. Wade, Yeah. Mm. You guys are unusual and very, very special people. I mean, unusual in the best kind of way. Um, tell me, maybe tell me a little bit about how, I mean, Jeremy, how did you grow up? I'm trying to kind of understand how people come to do as much as you do. Um, I grew up mainly with my grandfather, who was um, a very special man and very interesting as well. And uh, grew up traveling with him um, all over the country. He had the farm, what we call now, he bought it in 1970. So I grew up out there um, and he had a cattle ranch back in Oklahoma. So we'd go back there twice a year, like once in the summer and once in the winter, um, never in the nice times of the year. Um, <laughs> it's either too hot or too cold. Uh, so I grew up um, with farming knowledge from conventional cattle farming. And then also um, he was very much a man of the land. So. Um, I was hunting um, and fishing from a very young age. So, um, Out in Lompoc or out in where you live now? Uh, Lompoc and then we would go on hunting trips. Uh, we would go to Colorado, Oklahoma, New Mexico, um, all over the state of California. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I grew up with those skills and I didn't know that that was something that was unusual until I actually moved to San Luis Obispo. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I didn't go to uh, Cal Poly, but a lot of my friends did. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, none of them had any kind of like skills on how to provide their own food or anything like that. Right. Um, so that was very much like, because I had started school for chemical engineering, but eventually switched to business. Um, and I was kind of wondering if maybe my life would veer back into agriculture at some point because my grandpa was adamant on me not being a farmer. Why? Um, just because he was one of 12 kids from Oklahoma and they all, most of them were into farming. He went into the Air Force and um, what he knew of farming was like very hard work and uh, not a lot of money and not a lot of people um, had a very prosperous life. So I think he was scared that um, that was like, that was farming, like hard work and not a lot of money. Yeah. Um, so he didn't want me to get into it. Sounds almost like he's a Dust Bowl guy too. Yep, mm-hmm. absolutely. Which, I mean, you could kind of understand why somebody would advise against farming if yep. they right. knew what that guy knew. Yeah, okay, so after you went to Cuesta, mm-hmm. you got, and now that I know that you have a business degree or you were studying business, makes a lot of sense actually to how you've handled all your different income streams and your ingenuity. So after Questa, what happened? Um, I was I worked in a restaurant for nine years. Um, and about the time I was graduating, I um, got a job at a sunglass company that was here in San Luis Obispo. Hmm. Um, and that's where I met Megan. So it was a office job, cubicle, um, sales, and um, being in a restaurant and being active all the time and then growing up being active, like just sitting at a desk and sitting in a cubicle was like, uh, mind-numbing and a little different yeah mm-hmm. uh, I did not enjoy it so yeah. um, the opportunity arose in 2008 um, my grandfather um, was on the farm by himself wasn't doing well um, my aunt and my mom wanted to put him into a um, basically a retirement home or mm-hmm. a care facility and uh, I was adamantly if re- like refused to let that happen. So I offered to m- move back to Lompoc to take care of him under the stipulation that I had to live on the farm because I wasn't going to live anywhere else in Lompoc but the farm. Mm-hmm. So moved back in October of 2008. Um, and at that point I had met Megan and we were dating. Mm-hmm. Um, and she came to the farm for the first time and bless her soul. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It was my being from the Dust Bowl, my grandpa and his um, later life had kind of reverted to that hoarder status of like, I'm going to keep this because I'm going to fix it someday. Mm. Um, so people in Lompoc and in um, the area knew that like if they had a tractor or something they needed to get rid of, they could just take it to the raft ranch. And it had been like progressively getting worse. 
but once we moved out there, it became like the focus of we need to clean this up. There's so much stuff. Like even the house itself, you'd walk through and there's just pathways and stuff piled high to the oh, yeah. um, the ceiling. To some rooms, like you just could open the door and like sneak in, and the rest was just full of stuff. That so. makes me sweat when I think yeah. about <laughs> hoarding. Yeah, it's a little mega. <laughs> He's going to start twitching here. Yeah. I just, yeah, my mom and I are pretty neurotic. So coming into that, and, and I know Jeremy was just in love with the property because that was his home. Mm-hmm. That was where he grew up. And he was so proud of the, the 40 acres, not the, not the stuff that Grandpa had accumulated. But, oh, man, it just gave me so much anxiety to, to yeah. see it all. So it was, a, it was a project. I would get out of work and drive down for an evening, keep him company. And we'd take on some small project, you know, whether it was taking some pictures that were in a pile somewhere that they were just getting dusty and let's just buy a frame and put them in the frame and hang it up so grandpa can see it. So he's not losing them, but they're becoming, they're taking another another shape so that. (laughs) Serving a purpose. Right. How did you grow up, Megan? I was born and raised in Los Angeles and I spent a few years in Colorado in the Southwestern corner and, um, it was my parents' dream to move out there. My dad worked really, really hard and had a construction business. And um, so he actually had to fly back and forth to California to try and make his business and us living their dream in Colorado work. Mm-hmm. And uh, after a few years, it was just too hard. And my parents ended up separating. So we came back to California. Mm-hmm. But that time in Colorado was so nice for me. It was such a change of pace from you know, Los Angeles to being in a town where if you drive by and you blink, you miss it. Yeah. And there was, I think they got their first stoplight in like <laughs> 2010, Yeah. you know, just really tiny. And I did 4-H and did all sorts of sports for the first time because in California, in Los Angeles, I was doing dance and gymnastics and all those things um what years were you out there like junior high mm -hmm. okay so formative years right Mm -hmm. yeah and then came back in eighth eighth grade to california la crescenta that's a big switch it feels like i mean at a at a critical time right eighth grade is a i mean that's hard enough without leaving yeah well my it was my choice my mom looked at me and said hey your dad's going to be in California. Mm-hmm. What do you want to do? Do you want to stay here? Do you want to go? And thinking ahead, I was just kind of wondering what future I would have at any sort of college um, if I was to spend the rest of my high school years in a K through 12 school with 270 students. Oh, wow. There's really not much opportunity there for I mean, personal what? growth and education. Yeah. So I thought it might be better if I was in California. Lots of benefits, but you would you would have to weigh those benefits mm-hmm. out. Yeah. Education wise, it was a smarter sure. move. Yeah. To go to a blue ribbon school in California <laughs> so that I could get to a good school, a yeah. good college. Yeah. But I went to a blue ribbon school too. Yeah. yeah. And my son <laughs> goes to one now actually. That's great. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So you ended up at Cal Poly, you said? Mm-hmm. Okay, and what were you studying? I originally went in to be a math major, really? quickly discovered that was not for me. Yeah. I really liked math, but just I don't think I needed to push pencils for the rest of my life. So really? I ended up switching to communication studies. Okay. Okay. With a focus on anything? I really enjoyed training and development. Oh, okay. And so I was looking to go to Boston and join mm-hmm. consulting firms and do that whole corporate thing until I met Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it's interesting. I mean, training and um, what did you say it was? Training, training and, and development. Yeah. I mean, you do that. Absolutely. You do that in your job now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always wanted to be a teacher and it was just one of those things that my dad was like, it's going to be a hard road, you know, so, so just maybe try something else. And, but I think teaching's always been in me because I just, you know, loved training and development and thought, well, hey, if I'm not going to teach kids, I could teach adults. And even though I'm not teaching in the corporate world, I'm still, you know, hosting backyard chicken classes Mm -hmm. and helping people figure out how to do what they do with chickens or 
their food and things like that. So well, all the folks, all the woofers stay with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you met at the sunglasses company. Is that mm-hmm. right? You both worked there. Yeah. Yep. What was the name of that company? Live eyewear. Yeah. On, um, broad. Is that, or is that where it's, you were? Yeah. It's been, it was on tank farm. I think it was. No, it was and then it switched to, yeah. well, I know I remember mm-hmm. where it was. It's last. on broad now. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. It's by the it was the Dioptics building, that really big building that you can see as you drive north into San Luis Obispo on the right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what Before. was your job there? I did a lot of things. Did you? Because it was small, probably mm-hmm. when you joined up. Yeah. So I I originally was accounts receivable, so I did a lot of the collections calling, just as my college job. Yeah. Uh, Part time job, and then when I graduated, they hired me on to be the president's exec assistant. Mm-hmm. Um, that was right before 2008. And so when 2008 hit, I just had to be flexible and pick up marketing and sales and all sorts of stuff to help yeah. keep I, things running. I can't believe 2008 is 11 years ago. To me, that feels like I was just thinking, wow, that's really recent to have developed what you have in Lompoc, which I've seen. Um, so you've moved. It feels like maybe you've moved pretty quickly for how for how hoardy it was before <laughs> right? and yeah. how, you know, effective it is now. So you were un- unpacking boxes and then I remember you saying something about how many tons you moved off the property. Yeah, it was 80 tons um, of just mixed debris and stuff like that. In hindsight, it was, we were in such in that mode of like, we just, it's got to go. We got to clean everything. There were some things that I wish I would have hung on to. It had been like really cool, like farm yard art and stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we uh, contracted a company to come like take all the heavy equipment and stuff like that. Because a lot of it was just scrap steel. Um, but they also took all the trash and debris. So in the whole of like cleansing the property, it was now what do we do? <laughs> yeah. um, we needed to find something to do where um, I could be on the farm so I could take care of them grandpa um and we can do some kind of income whether it be small or whatever um just as a way of sustaining your existence there and doing something yeah being a Um, draw right where does that come from is that from grandpa that idea of i mean obviously you need to have an income i mean that makes sense but that idea of not being a draw you know making something out of nothing uh i'd say yeah, um, grandpa, he always taught me to like, uh, think on my feet, be like, use whatever I have available to, um, create something. He'd always tell me to like, in a situation to stop and think and like take it all in and observe and then, um, be very critical and like make slow decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, which I don't think I always do at this point, but, uh, Sometimes I make decisions too quickly. Well, um, I mean, maybe you don't have time to make decisions <laughs> anymore. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'd say that it comes from my grandfather. Yeah. And, um, definitely. Because, I mean, he had to be um, that way growing up in the Dust Bowl to, like, feed 12. There was 12 kids, mom and dad, and grandpa. And at one point, grandpa and grandma in a tiny little house. Mm-hmm. Um, so providing food and um, making sure that everybody like even getting water was a struggle at some point. Right. So um, they did things like he raised pigeons so they could eat the pigeons. Wow. Um, so yeah, it was like... Squab. Had, yeah, yeah, squab. Yeah, squab. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, uh, and then growing up too, just like traveling with him, we never traveled with nice things. Like there was so many times a motorhome would break down the side of the road and we'd be there for five or six hours fixing the thing. So um, what's funny is growing up it's like my job now is what I watched my grandpa do in his entire life is just like fix things <laughs> running a farm with that much going on 80% of the time is fixing things wow 80% <laughs> of the time is a lot of the time that yeah. might be a slight exaggeration but it feels like it <laughs> okay 75 <laughs> 70 yeah. I mean it yeah that's a lot but you've gotten to a point where you have a lot of the things well I should get to that but a lot of the things that you probably want and now it's just maintenance. Right, yeah. pretty much. Um, I mean, we have some things going forward that we want to do, but um, like when you break it down, we have the coops, the chickens, the eggs, the produce, um, the classes, the um, farm short dinners, farm the dinners, dinners yeah. and the short-term rentals. So the only thing we really want to develop next is doing an event space for like weddings and stuff right. like that. 
So what was the first thing you did after the property was cleared? What was the first endeavor that you took? Uh, chickens, actually. And that was kind of by accident. Um, we were looking for something for Grandpa to do so he could uh, kind of get off his butt and go do something outside, stop watching TV so much. Um, so we got chickens. We got a coop. We bought 12 chickens, gave them names, and that was uh, what Grandpa helped us with. He went out and fed them, helped us collect eggs. and He liked um, to tell us how to do things yeah. based on his experience. So it was really nice to give him something that he knew a lot about and was passionate about because like Jeremy mentioned, he loved raising the pheasants and quail and everything in his mm-hmm. history. So he w- he had a great time telling us how to take care of those chickens. Yeah. And was he right a lot? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I would imagine. Yeah. Um, you say that you named them all. Do you still name them? No. You have so <laughs> many chickens. I just, I don't know how you would keep them straight, honestly. There are some that are named. Yeah, there's a few that like, We'll have quirky personalities or something that yeah. we'll get a special name. But um, other than that, no, we just, there was like a period of time. It seemed like every single chicken that we named, something would happen to. So we were just like, <laughs> stop naming yeah. chickens. And for the safety of the chickens, they can't have names. <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh at that, but we have a joke in my family that if you love something too much, it's going to die. And that's a horrible way to live. But we've had, I remember my brother got a goldfish um, doing carnival games and he rode home with it in the plastic bag with the water and was like slamming against the <laughs> his bike as he rode, you know, over a mile. He got home and he like barely threw it into probably a cup or something and never named it. And that fish lived forever <laughs> because no one cared about it. It's like, I don't even know that he was feeding it at one point, but yeah. If you love something, if you name something, yeah, y- you stand Watch to lose out. it. Yeah. <laughs> oh. So chickens first. Yeah. So my, um, it was actually the eggs. The eggs came before the chickens. Um, <laughs> he was a dairy manager at uh, New Frontiers in Solving, mm-hmm. and we, being three of us, twelve chickens, we had a lot of eggs. So he mentioned, like, why don't you just start? selling some to me and I'll sell to my customers if it even if it's only five dozen it's something um and I was like yeah that'll at least pay for the feed or whatever so we started selling five dozen eggs a week and we started getting phone calls um because you had to put your phone number and address on the labels that was like just a little something we made up and put on the uh, egg cartons and people started calling like hey your eggs are amazing like but we can hardly ever find them like we have to go in there and like snag them when they get delivered um we do want to start doing more we'll buy like 10 dozen a week and so it was an easy decision for us it's like well we we're looking at something to do so we got 50 chickens started getting a lot more eggs 50 hens turned into 200 hens um so we were and our at that point the only people that were buying eggs was new frontiers and solving and then uh, we had a farmer that came out from San Inez. Um, he didn't want to raise baby chicks. He just wanted uh, 20 layers. And uh, I told him I couldn't do it because we had a quota to make for New Frontiers. And mm-hmm. he said, name your price. And I was like, $35 per hen. And he gave me $700 in cash. Yeah. And I was just like, there could be something here. Uh, so we started getting a lot more chickens. Um, Raising Sorry. them up, getting them ready for people just to have a yep. pre-built so laying we, situation. Mm-hmm. Okay, because they don't they don't want to deal with raising from babies. The they want instantaneous and, gratification yeah. of having the a smell chicken in the house. Egg. Right. Yeah. Um, so that was 2010, yeah. 11, and then because yeah, we were doing eggs in 2009, so it was like 2010 we started selling the chickens, mm-hmm. um, and people would just come to us like there was no deliveries involved at that point. Um, and then we had, we were at that point delivering eggs to Isla Vista food co-op. So we were going down to Santa Barbara once a week and we had a customer, um, chicken customer who had bought in chickens for her vacation home in San Inez, but she was a lawyer down in Glendale and, um, she was going to be in Carpinteria and she knew we were going to be delivering eggs. She's like, if you just make that little extra drive, I'll give you some cash. Um, that way I don't have to come all the way up to you and I can take chickens back to my home in Glendale. So we did that. And while we were there, she's like, you should really put an ad up on Craigslist and like try to do a chicken delivery to Los Angeles because there's tons of people who are looking for chickens. I was like, this is crazy, but we'll try it. Um, So we did. We put up a Craigslist ad and it was insane. Like 
all of a sudden we were doing trips to Los Angeles with our forerunner with boxes of chickens in the back and wow. <laughs> delivering to people's homes. Um, so that's kind of how the chicken delivery started. Wow. And what are you, so you're both going down and doing all this? Yeah, it was, it was long hours. It was washing eggs until 3 a.m., right. turning around, loading up a car at 6.30 a.m. with chickens and eggs and doing a 15 to 18 hour delivery day for eggs and chickens all the way down to L.A. and back to people's homes. But it must have been worth it to continue doing that. I mean, was the money good? Yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, it was definitely. It was enough. Worth, yeah, yeah. It, like, gave us a sense of like, okay, we're accomplished this now. And then, um, one of us would obviously stay home and take care of grandpa, and the other one would go on the road um, to do the deliveries. It gave Megan an opportunity if she wanted to to stay at her family's house if she's like oh, the right. other day. So, right. okay. um, it's like was good for her. Um, and then I think I handled the LA traffic a little better. Uh, yeah. But you're still going down, right? Uh, yeah, we have a delivery driver at this point okay, that does it for you. us. Um, we'll do one every one. I'll do one every once in a while if I yeah. need to. Um, and it's kind of good sometimes to get off the farm and just like drive a little bit. Um, but then that was like 2011. We were doing eggs, chickens. Um, we had started building chicken coops, um, and we were just we were too busy. Like we were slammed. We had hired one of my friends as an employee. So it was the three of us um, taking care of grandpa and running the farm. And that's when we started contemplating Woof because we had a friend in um, Goleta that they had purchased an old defunct avocado orchard. And we're like, it's going to take them years to get anything done. Wait a minute. Who, where did you say that was? In it's Oxford? In Goleta. In Goleta. In Goleta. Okay. okay. Is it on the east side of the freeway or on the yes, west side? Yes, on the east side. East okay. Side Santa Barbara Food the food forest. Food forest? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, but we visited them and they had woofers and they were getting an insane amount of work done. Um, mm. And we knew about woof because we'd had friends that had done it and like we both had kind of considered it at one point. Um, but we never really considered it for ourselves. Mm. Uh, and at that point, another light bulb went off and like, well, let's just create a listing and see what happens. So we created a listing in November. We got married in September of 2012. And we created the listing, I think, the month after. Yeah, it was the end of October. And then we never felt like we could pull the trigger because we weren't sure if the accommodations that we had set up would be nice enough right. for any woofers. And what were your original accommodations? Was it like a room? <laughs> yeah, do you not even want to say? <laughs> oh, no, it's, it's, I was, it was actually pretty fun. Um, we had a an old RV. 1970s Dodge RV. Sure. Totally. Yeah. And I was, I mean, it was 70s. So I went and found a bunch of stuff at the secondhand shop that was, you know, lime green and yellow. And I just made it work. (laughs) That's awesome. Added a few cute little pieces. And, but we were just a little nervous until we had a couple of girls that were in a kind of a sketchy situation on a farm. They were really uncomfortable with the person running it. And, kind of begged us, like, please, we don't really care where you put us. Just let us come to your farm. So Jeremy picked them up. They they packed up their stuff, and they hoofed it out of there in the middle of the night, and Jeremy picked them up. Oh, my gosh. And we brought them down, and they were like, this is amazing. Like, sure. Wait. Yeah. <laughs> if they have to leave in the middle of the night, then, yeah, it's going to be amazing right. for them. But wow. so this RV had been parked in a covered um, pole barn, so we got it running and pulled it out of the pole barn because it's like, kind of scary and dingy mm-hmm. back there so to clean it and everything we parked it in the front yard and they were staying in there for a couple of weeks and immediately changed our life because like mondays is egg washing day so we had to like break down our kitchen um wash all the eggs and this is usually like after we've done everything else in the day so we usually didn't get started on eggs until five or six in the evening what um do you mean break down the kitchen inside the house yeah because you had couldn't didn't no food there couldn't be like food present right. or dishes or anything like that. So you needed a big workspace. Yeah. So removing all of the appliance, like the countertop appliances and just, and our kitchen was tiny. Yeah. Um, so Monday morning they were me cause I picked them up on a Sunday. They're like, we can wash the eggs. And we're like, huh? So we went and did our rounds, fed all the animals and everything came back at like noonish and all the eggs were washed oh, wow. and all of a sudden it's like, Whoa, we can get other stuff done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so when they moved on, well, and- we didn't have anybody 
Yeah, I was going to ask, is it reliable enough to where you can count on it? We uh, can now, the yeah, way that usually. we have it set up. But at that point, there was a pause between them and our next group of woofers. And we were, we, or we, I don't think we even had anybody scheduled. And yeah. after they left, we were like, oh my goodness, we cannot live they without this in, right now. They ended up yeah. sleeping in the house, by the way, because what we discovered is the RV leaked really bad when it rained, oh. which we, <laughs> it was part of found out the hard way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so like we didn't want them to be like in the house with us cause we still wanted that separation yeah. and we didn't know how grandpa was going to take it with like mm-hmm. these strange people coming in and staying with us. Um, but once it started raining, it was like, yeah, that's going to have to happen. Yeah. Um, and it was fine. It was totally fine. So mm-hmm. especially at first when there was only like two or three at any given time, but once those two left, it was three actually, because um, they had a friend come. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Once they left, and it was back to the same grind of like us doing the eggs and um, not really making forward progress in some of the other projects we wanted to do. It was like, okay, are we going to go do this full time? Like, is this what we're going to do with the woofers? Um, so we decided to build a dormitory, like what we need now call Woofville. Uh, is that the yurts behind? Mm-hmm. Yep. It's got a little dormitory, tiny house, an indoor outdoor shower. Um, and two yurts. That is so cool. How many people can you host back there? Mm. What's your max? Seven. Seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, if we have couples, it's a little bit more than that. Yeah, but. right, right. Oh, it's so cool. So cool. So once you had established that help to be able to expand when you talk about forward progress, what was forward progress? Uh, the garden, mainly. Um, we had always, because we had a small garden to grow food for ourselves, um, and we had one very industrious young man who wanted to start a CSA um, via the farm, and uh, we let him take that on. So um, that was Alan in 2013 or 14. Mm-hmm. Um, so we expanded the 4,000 square foot garden to over time a whole acre um, of produce, and we grow like over 30 different varieties pretty much at any given time to provide for a a small CSA for just Lompoc. Um, but he's the one that started that because there'd be periods of time we would get done with everything we needed to do around 12 or one o'clock. And they had a couple more hours that, um, generally until three o'clock that they would work. Uh, so they, by doing the garden, it was easy, like go weed that section, plant this section. Um, and then it just became kind of like brought it all together at that point. Cause yeah. we were doing the chickens, the eggs and now produce, um, and also building coops. So it was like this whole, somebody came to the farm, they could learn a whole broad spectrum of farming. So, And in a, in a circuit, I mean, because you are, I saw you have the electric fence for the chickens that you can bring around, and I'm sure you're capitalizing on the waste from your food and, mm-hmm. and on yep. them, and I love that cycle. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So... Uh, for the garden, we use all chicken manure compost. So when we raise chickens for um, purchase, we have a huge barn. That huge barn is sitting at the top of the yeah. garden. Um, and we fill it with pine shavings. We, it's separating the different runs, but um, we have three to four inches of pine shavings. And as they get soiled, we pull them out, put them into a huge pile, and then any of the veggie garden or household waste, um, compost waste, goes into that pile. Um, we water it, we turn it, and um, it makes amazing compost. Yeah. We have to do hardly any other outside inputs for fertiliz- fertilizer. That's so cool. Now, are you are you cooking? I mean, it sounds like you're busy, and you're busy too, but how are you feeding the people who are helping? So they have open access to our house and our yeah. kitchen, and they do breakfast and lunch on their own, and we just do all the grocery shopping if there's stuff that we don't produce at the farm. Um, and then... Dinners, we come together and have a meal together and as much as possible. everybody's cooking together? Um, some people, like, it's... Depends really. on the group. <laughs> it, yeah. Some people come and they want to share their French, you know, their favorite French meal that their, their mother makes for them. And so they try and duplicate what they eat at home, which is very fun yeah. for them and for everyone else some that gets to share. Some of them are amazing chefs. Some of them, like, once they sign up once, it's kind of like... Could you keep signing up, please? Well, yeah. Or the other way. <laughs> oh, please don't make beats again. What's a meal that stands out to you that somebody made? Oh, man. So we just had, for me, um, there was a woofer from Japan, Tomomi. She came last year for like two or three months, and then she went back. Um, but our kids fell in love with her. 
Um, they, there was a huge language barrier because her English at that point wasn't very good, but um, she's just one of those amazing souls that children gravitate towards. Yeah. Um, but she came back, uh, what, like two or three months ago, and she brought her mom from Japan. Hey. Um, and her mm -hmm. mom cooked almost every night like authentic Japanese food. Oh. So every night was just like amazing, amazing meal. What a special gift to be able to, especially after a hard day, to sit down and eat food like that mm -hmm. yeah. that you didn't have to make too. It's pretty yep. cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the coops, I remember you saying something about, I mean, I don't think we've touched on the fact that you were making coops often for laying hens that you would deliver the full package to right. folks, especially in LA, I think, right? Mm -hmm. That's your, your main, um, LA in the Bay area too. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. And did you ever see anybody famous? Uh, yeah. Some of them I can't talk about because they're just sure. signed this whole NDA thing. But, um, <laughs> that is awesome. But we've delivered to homes where, uh, we didn't have to sign an NDA. So like uh, Lady Gaga, that one was kind of like, we delivered chickens. It was our delivery driver. And then one of my friends messaged me later in the day because she had put on her Instagram a picture of oh, the chickens. Right. And I looked at it and I was like, I caught those chickens at three o'clock this morning. <laughs> I know exactly which ones those are. So we actually had no idea that we were going to be delivering to her um, because oh. it's always usually like their gardener or handler's um, name. And we could have Googled the address and probably figured it out, but there's too much work at this point. Yeah. Um, but like you and McGregor. Kylie uh, Jenner. Kylie we did Jenner. her coop and she was she had us on her show yeah. year two years ago really it's kind of cool actually if you don't know who it is you just drop it and you find out later like wow yeah yeah, yeah. who is that we've done a couple like billionaires just like crazy yeah. rich people that you... sydney kemmel was one of them that johnny carson's old malibu compound we built his coop yeah. um and got their chickens from us i'm sure there's people that we have no we, idea i mean because there's a, a lot of times a handler Mm -hmm. that places the order and you drop off at the house and you don't know who it is, but it's pretty cool because you get to see the, especially when we were doing the deliveries, you'd be like in South central LA and delivering three hens to a young man or woman that had to save up money to buy these chickens. And they were mm -hmm. absolutely so excited about it. Um, and to see like how those chickens meant to them. And then your next stop would be like a $50 million mansion. Right in like Pacific Palisades and it's like everyone has chickens. <laughs> yeah. That mm -hmm. is so cool to the spectrum. See, actually. Yeah. Um, so you, after the, um, garden, when did you start? I'm trying to think about all the different parts of your property. I mean, when I was there, you had started the, the overhang with the, um, honor system, the farm, farm stand. stand. It, am I right? That's pretty recent. Okay. That's, it's been a few years. Oh, it has. Okay. Yeah, but we just put the over. We actually like. We just built it out a little bit more this and last year. Made it something nicer. <laughs> yeah, and you have that huge egg washing station now. Mm -hmm. um, and the honor system with the farm is that pretty reliable? Yeah. Isn't that cool? It's fun. I mean, I know that there are people that come out and just maybe don't put everything in there that they should, or they're just putting whatever's in their ashtray as far as change goes. Mm -hmm. We get a lot of that, but then we also get a check that's $10 for a dozen eggs. Yeah. And like so you know that bill when you know, they didn't buy a hundred dollars of the produce yeah. or something like that. Yeah. So. so it goes both ways. And I, I think that's pretty cool. Mm. Um, and even if, even if you have somebody that forgets to add everything up, right at the end of the day, it's, it's cool that they get to walk out there and buy their stuff and then maybe take a little, you know, tour of the garden on the outside and see the plants, um, the Brussels sprout plants that, you know, are in the ground where their food came from and watch the goats just kind of running around on the farm and have that experience kind of feel like they're building a relationship with their farmer mm -hmm. instead of feeling like they're being watched by yeah. somebody to make sure that they put in the extra dollar that they didn't miss something. Mm -hmm. It's worth it. It's also just super cute, I have to say. I mean, and the fact that you have such a wide variety of things out there. You've got, is the milk from your cows? Mm -hmm. Yep. You have one cow? Four. We have four milkers. Okay. So. so you've got milk, you have cheeses, are those made from your? Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then you've got honey. Is that front to you? The honey, um, the bees have always been on the property since Jeremy's grandfather oh. kind of struck a deal with the, 
the French's. And so they are workers for us, yeah. you know, harv- uh, doing everything in the garden pollinating. and pollinating. Right. But then when they come out and they go to harvest the honey, they'll bring those hives back and they'll centrifuge the honey out from them and mm-hmm. bring us the honey from the bees that were on our property. So okay. it's literally our honey. And yeah. that's like a, it's just a little barter, you know. It's a cool barter. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. We're not, um, we we use a lot of it. It was a lot of honey at first mm. when we didn't have a lot of people to share it with. But now that we have all the woofers, it's for sure so nice. We, we had a lot of honey in our time in Italy. We also had a lot of olive oil. Oh, um, I bet. Yeah. We, there was a weekend. I remember we were harvesting tomatoes and our hands were just black, which I'd never experienced before. I did not think anything would get on our hands. And by the end, it's just like caked with black, mm-hmm. but we ate so so many tomatoes, (laughs) but yeah, just for the basket, one for me, totally probably sick of them by the end, but yeah, just fantastic experience. Yeah. So as far as what's next, you said that the wedding venue, well, then you have Airbnbs or VRBOs. Um, Um, yeah, we have two campers. Now we have a 64 tiny little camper and a 1973 Airstream that we, um, remodeled and put up on Airbnb. So we get to have people from again, all over the world come and stay on the farm. Um, and it's really cool because I mean, we have some people that are just like passing through because we're in between LA and San Francisco, but some people come from like San Francisco or Los Angeles They come with this family. And, um, when they check out or when they leave, they have nothing but amazing things to say because for the first time their young children can like even see the stars at night or wake up and there'll be a deer next to the camper or see a chicken for the first time. Go so watch the goats get milked and yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so we just finished remodeling a house that was on the property that had been rented out for 15 years. Um, that was a two-year-long project because between everything else that was going on, we jumped on that whenever we could. So um, we yeah, put it up three weeks ago. So we've already had five guests come and stay with us. Wow. Um, so that will give a whole new, like, I guess, experience for people who don't necessarily want to stay in a camper, like they can come to the farm and do a farm stay in a right. nice, well-done house. Um, How many does that sleep? Uh, up to six. Cool. So, Very yep. cool. Um, so now that that's done, um, we're going to start working on slowly moving forward with the event space. Mm-hmm. We need to kind of circle back and go through each thing that we've been doing on the farm because that was a two-year project and just tweak some things here and there. and then um, See yeah. if we can get the coops actually to ship nationwide right on so you would you would have them in pallets or something like that to ship out yeah absolutely wow what um you know on your deathbed what would you like to have said that you did with this property sell it no i'm just kidding kidding. but i'm sure there are days i'm sure there are days yeah absolutely Um, but what like what is the penultimate what do you want to see happening there uh I mean, I would always like to see some aspect of farming, but um, I think at this point, just keep cultivating people. Um, the farm has become a special place where people can come either via woof or the farm stays um, or the farm stand for people that live in Lompoc to come out and um, what I call just like the magic of the canyon because it's so beautiful back there. Um, and whether people people are working, getting their hands dirty, um, experiencing a different side to America if they're from uh, another country or if they're from America. Um, we have, like I said, of over 550 people. A lot of them we call really close friends at this point. Um, and just to keep doing that, like showing people there's a different way. And mm-hmm. Two things that stand out to me is the way that Europeans, like that old world way of viewing food, you know, you go to, I'm sure, a lot, most places um, in Europe and people know their baker and they know their veggie farmer and they know the person that makes their cheese and their milk. And a lot of that has been taken over by a middleman in America. The grocer is now the person that has that relationship with the consumer. And so what we're really trying to do is rebuild that relationship between the farmer and the consumer so that they understand what goes on on a farm, especially because I think that small farms are kind of the way of the future for 
the farming industry, um, it's so difficult for any of the younger generation of people to start farming on a large scale. So it's really going to take people that are dedicated to just getting a hold of a small piece of property Mm -hmm. and really doing something that's more in the style of permaculture or something of that nature and serving just their local community. Mm -hmm. If we're going to have a sustainable agricultural model where we have young farmers coming into play. And so what's required of that is that, our community starts looking to the farmer um, for purchasing direct. And I think that started back with farmer's markets, but it's nice to bring bring people out to the farm so that they can see not just the farmer's face and the, the produce on the table, but also what's in the ground and what else is going on out there and knowing the farm family and all the people that produce that food for them, not just the person that's selling it at the farmer's market. So it's, it's um, encouraging people to reconsider their relationship with their farmer. Yeah, it's convicting. Also, talking to you, I, our shopping habits. I told you I have a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old, and I, I'm not going to blame it on them, but they certainly, you know, the busyness of life has it has slowly whittled away our commitment to buying local. And um, when we were out there over the summer, Jake and I coming out. Um, I mean, I think I told you my husband just was so a Twitter out there, so excited to see what you were doing and trying to convince me. (laughs) And I said, you know, I'm not going to do it, but I do love supporting this. And there is a benefit to going out to the site. I love farmer's markets, but there's something amazing about, I I was especially thinking seeing your kids running around um, and getting to take the walk and, you know, smelling the, the compost, which was this incredible, like, you know, it stinks, but it's this clean, also this very clean smell at the same time. There's a different um, sense when you go out and you walk around and someone tells you how their business grew also. Um, yeah, so I just applaud you and it makes me feel like, okay, we need to rebuild that part, even just a small amount, you know. Well, I think we're on the right track. I think yeah. people are, you know, starting to focus back on that. And and there's tons, even in the grocery stores, of local booths where they're featuring products that are coming from people in your area but it's nice to rebuild that relationship with the people that are eating our food for sure so you've driven all the way up here um so i don't want to keep you too much longer but i do want to know also um what would you eat your last meal what would it be i love this question (laughs) (laughs) so do i it gives me great inspiration for what to make for dinner tonight absolutely um well I'm a huge Italian food lover, and my dad makes some really spectacular marinara sauce, mm-hmm. just over some penne pasta with some good Parmesan cheese on the top and garlic bread with my family. Yeah. That's, that's the one. When it's good, it's so good. He's got, like, he makes it, and then he freezes part of it, and then use that as a, uses that as a stock for the next pot that he makes, oh, and it's... Wow. There's just nothing like it. Yeah. Fabulous. Yeah. I like that. I'll come yeah. over for that. Yeah. You're and welcome. Jeremy. <laughs> Where would... I think I would probably do a pizza, a mm. tiny little pizzeria in its town in Portugal called Zambuja <laughs> de Mar. Oh. Um, yeah. Your buddies. Yep. yep. It was um, good. Yeah. Well, we were... They've cooked pizza for us before and they have... He's from Italy and he does a killer tiramisu, so that's kind of like our thing. Um, but they were closed while we were there, but we did have pizza with them. So mm, fantastic. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, Good I answer. think <laughs> you are on the right track and I really appreciate you coming and talking. Thank it's hard to get farmers off, off the ground and, and into the house. So I, I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank Thanks for having us. Consumed is produced by me, Jamie Lewis and edited by Chris Lambert. Thanks again for listening to this podcast and be sure to support the good folks who join me each episode. To learn more about any of my guests, visit letsgetconsumed.com. Until next time, I'm Jamie Lewis.